Hello, Cricket Nuffies, Cricket Lovers. Welcome back to another Bev in the Sheds. I'm here with Gordon Hunter-Meredith to recap the Indian Test Series, which, of course, the tourists won 2-1. And we're also going to talk this morning about the squad that's been selected for the Sri Lankan Test Series. We've been away for a while. Gordo, what have you been up to? Just lots of cricket, mate. The BBL's on and obviously playing with the cricket myself. They've been the main two things, and uh, back at, back in the office with uh, my other occupation this week as well. So the uh, festival of cricket is over, but it's also only just begun. When you think about it, because there are another two tests to go this summer, three one-days coming up next week. Are you excited for the one-days? Do yeah. they mean anything, given the test team has already been picked? Well, no, because one-days shouldn't reflect who gets picked in the test team. And this is one of the first times that we're not going to go and pick Sean Marsh based on one-day cricket. Well, two uh, BC on that one, I reckon. He has been told essentially, if you make runs, we'll 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 send you to England. Draft, oh, to England. Yeah. Well, we'll get to Sean Marsh and the rest later. Um, but what did you make of the final test in Sydney? I haven't caught you on a pod since Melbourne. No, you haven't. Uh, it was a pretty crappy test, wasn't it? It rained. Was it a good reflection of that test series? Everyone was, everyone frothed very hard. And I think, you know, professional commentators and presenters on TV have to sell the product. So everyone did say, oh, it was an amazing series with lots of highlights and lots of magical moments. Like, no, it wasn't really. The first, the first two tests I thought were really good tests. The first test was not a really good test. Adelaide wasn't a really good test. It was a really good last day. It was close. It was close, but it was two. It was two stumbling. It was two stumbling teams filling each other out, as opposed to two juggernauts locking heads. First round boxing match. And then Perth was a pretty good test on a pretty good wicket. Melbourne was a bit of a drag, and Sydney it rained. So well, Melbourne and Sydney were almost carbon copies until the rain. Mm, yeah. Like in terms of India, won the toss, battered. Um, there was some really good numbering from Crickviz, which basically said that winning the toss cancels out the home advantage. So India winning that toss is mm. as significant as this being played in Australia, and that showed on those pitches in particular. And it, throughout the series, the team that won or dominated the match, if you take India as, India as a dominant team in Sydney, was the team that won the toss. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in Melbourne... And in Sydney, they just battled, battled Australia out. Australia had no chance in Sydney. They shut the door. They just did what they needed to do. They wanted to win the series. They wanted to win the test. They could, they could have won that test in three days almost if they were they went hard, but they didn't. They wanted to win the series and make history, and they did. And so does it... I mean, it doesn't matter in anyone's mind that the series was 2-1, not 3-1. No. What matters is that India... The first... Not even India. It's the first subcontinent team ever to win a series in Australia. Ever. Ever. And... I mean, I think you can make a pretty compelling argument that they would have won this series even with Smith and Water in. Oh, no. It's probably a bit of a longer bow. I mean, I also think that on the flip side of that, India didn't really ever have their strongest team on the park. Yeah, but India never had their strongest team on the park. Their depth is, is, is significant, but they have a long and storied history of picking the wrong players in the wrong conditions, as they did in Perth. Which they did in Perth. As, they did, as they did all the time in England, as they did in South Africa. Yeah. So it's interesting that come the end of the year, they finally did get it right after I don't think they'll have another year where they go to South Africa England and Australia in one year oh no they are becoming they are becoming more and more we we only play the good teams now if you want to come if you want to if you're a minnow you have to come to India to play us we can still sell it there oh yeah Afghanistan yeah yeah but if you if we're going to travel it has to be worth our time is essentially what the BCCI said well I've kind of just shot myself in the foot a little bit as well with that Smith Warner mm. thing because if you look at hundreds overall in the test series Pajara had three Coley had one Pan had one 
and then Australia had none. But if you take Pajara and Kohli out, that's four of India's five hundreds. And so the rest of the players really, particularly around Pajara, played very solid knocks, but mm. around those two. And I think the other stat that was really significant is the 10 highest scores in the series, nine of them were Indian. The only one that featured was Marcus Harris's 79 in Sydney. Yeah, but five of those 10 scores happened in Melbourne and Sydney. Very good point. <laughs> so in terms of match winning performances, Collie won, or Collie had the best performance in Perth and they still lost that test. Yeah, yeah, yeah Pajara's best performance of the whole of the whole series was probably Melbourne. Or Adelaide? Uh, I'd say Melbourne. Melbourne, he won in the series. By being, it's mm. more he faced 480-odd balls as opposed to his 106 runs. And he just batted time and went through and did the job there. Yeah, otherwise, yeah, what we have one in the top 10, Harris. But yeah, I mean, I thought that was, that was quite a pronounced difference. Um, and I guess the other question I have for you, Gordon, is not just... It's clear from the numbering that India bowled better, but what about their bowling made it better? They just had a willingness to bolt their plan and to stick with it. We seem to, A, not have a, a, a huge buy-in to whatever the plan was, if the plan was bowl short or to mm-hmm. make the ball swing or make it move or bowl boring or aim at their legs or bowl leg side corridor, whatever it was. We didn't seem to have a solid understanding of when to do what to what batsman and also which bowler's roles was what. So is that captaincy and, and front office for want of a better term, coaching and captaincy, or is that bowling? Or is it a combination of both? A combination of both. Because assumedly the bowlers have a say in bowling tactics. If they don't, then that's probably a problem. Oh, absolutely. Out there, it just looked sometimes that they were confused as to what was going on. And even things like you select uh, Lebeshay at Sydney and you don't bowl him that much in the first innings, even though you've rotated through this massive workload of, of fast bowlers in the test prior as well. Just things like that where they, I think the selectors were angling for one thing, Langer's angling for another thing, the individual coaches angling for another thing, and then the players are a little bit like, well, what's the actual go here? Mm. And even especially with the batting, we seem to be very attack-oriented, even though we were in a position where we can only really save tests. So yeah. Melbourne being the prime example was like, well, why are we... Why are we trying to score at a run rate of 60 when we need to be just facing as many balls as possible mm. and then using the rain on the last day? Like we, ma- we manage the time in that situation really poorly. Mm. And it just seems to be those, those little things. And, yeah, maybe it's inexperienced and there are a few, but there's not a lot of inexperienced players. Everyone's got a, a depth of first-class numbers under them. So they all should know how to play test cricket, and especially that bowling attack, which just seemed un- unwilling, unwanting, unable to bowl to a plan for long enough. Yeah, and I think it's really... So the Crickviz numbering had Australia's expected bowling average as a unit before the series at 30.8. They had India's at 28 flat. So that difference is only two runs, which is significant but not ridiculous. In the end, Australia underperformed and had a bowling average for the series of 34.69. India's was actually above what was expected and was 25.9. So the golf is actually, it was small and then it just got bigger by how they performed as the series unfolded. And I just thought that was really significant. And we spoke a little bit on air during the Melbourne test about just even th- simple things like seam position and wrist position and being able to keep the seam straight when you bowl because of that wrist action and how India just did a lot of those things better. And that resulted in pretty much every category for bowling. They were just better throughout. They also tend to bowl for as long. So and that was very hard to maintain... Yeah standards in the field and we saw that in Melbourne especially when you're out there essentially for half the test 
That's mm. it's a very tough ask. Now, they've been out there for half a test, every test this year in 2018, which is why I think we still have three of the top 15 uh, top-ranked ICC test bowlers in the world because obviously they take a lot of wickets so they play a lot of games, they bowl a lot of overs. But also the workload they would have done this year would have been astronomical. I think Lions bowled almost 500 overs in 2018. And so, yeah, you're going to wear them down. And it's like when you come in with Craig Viz's pre-series averages to see that the Indian team in Australia is looking to be the better unit predicted in Australian conditions is, is, a, bit, is a bit concerning, especially when we had our top four bowlers there. And we were kind of hedging our bets, but I think the point that you make is about the amount of time we spent in the field is really significant because that is a significant difference and the batting issue flows into the bowling issue because the bowlers are never... They're never defending 400. So there's always a sense of urgency, whereas India's bowlers were bowling in more comfortable positions more often. I don't know how much of a difference that makes, but those issues aren't isolated to the point that I think we usually isolate them. Well, because it puts all the, all the pressure back on the bowling team if you're, if you're bowling to small targets. And then in India's case, it's like, well, we can set aggressive fields or we can set defensive fields and attack with the ball. It's more what they did. Hmm. I was always surprised by college takers of having a deep point when a team's chasing 600 or whatever it was. And it's like, well, fair enough. Like, that means that you can't get that boundary. You don't relieve pressure. It's a very defensive tactic, but it works because you're playing against very aggressive batsmen who want to score boundaries. So if you mm. take the boundaries off them, they make the mistakes and they go out. And Michael Vaughan engineered that a little bit in the 2005 Ashes, where he would have a deep point to Hayden, for example, who would want to slice that ball and he'd hit a beautiful shot and then only get one. Mm. And then naturally, Vaughan was able to wear Australian players down by restricting boundaries and that would allow his bowlers to build pressure. But it is interesting to still employ that approach when you're defending 600. And I thought Coley's tactics throughout the series were very good, but I don't think the Australian batsmen did enough to make him think again and think again and think again because they were unwilling to go away from that natural intent. I think the line that Gideon used was in Melbourne that they were playing Russian roulette with intent, which just, yeah, struck me as a bit as a bit strange. But, we, yeah, we didn't bat time. But I guess a follow-up question, like, so I predicted before the series, and this is a bit of a head-wobble moment, 2-1 India. Yep, thank you. Um... But do you think that's a disaster or as big a disaster as it's being made out to be? Like, it's a bit of a... There's a bit of... 2-1 on paper. And, like, I'm sure 50 years from now, when people just look at the scorecards and wisdom and whatever, they just go, oh, yeah, 2-1. It must have been a close series with a draw. Yeah, all right, there you are. But we were were thoroughly outplayed in all but three days of this test series. Which were enough to win the test in Perth. We had one good day in Perth. We had had a good day in Adelaide to start. I was going to say, we had a good day in Adelaide to start. So there's one. And we had a good day to end. One day... An okay day to end, but we still lost the test. Mm. So it wasn't that good. You still wouldn't have won the day. We won probably one day, and that was enough in Perth. And there was enough. They were like, we won a session here and a session there. So we probably won two sessions in Melbourne. You may have picked up a session in Sydney. At best. At but best. we didn't really win the day. So you've, we've won about three days out of a potential 20 days of cricket. After, I mean, after the half And yeah, the result is 2-1. But mm. if it was, if it, yeah, if you go session by session, we, we've lost by a long margin. And also after, after that halfway point of the series, we didn't win a day or really come close to it. You could argue the third day in Melbourne, but we didn't win the third day in Melbourne because we collapsed and then got some wickets late in the day, to, which was a session. Mm. And it was also a fairly inconsequential session because India were kind of just batting for the hell of it to make us bowl again. So I guess the next question is that, in your eyes, does this make India an undisputed number one? No, absolutely not. Because this, this is a test series that they should have won. If they think they're the world's number one team, they're playing against 
an awakened team. So, as you said, if you had taken Pajara and Coley out of their batting lineup, suddenly it's even even, which is fair enough because if you take Warner and Smith out of their batting lineup, like we did, <laughs> well then, yeah, you're going to have some pretty big gaps to fill, and we didn't have it yet. So, and Smith is. Both Pajara and Coley. He's a guy that can score quickly when he needs to, but also eat up a lot of balls. And we didn't have a player that can do that. Also this year, so they, as you said, they've been away to England. They lost that series 1-4. Four, four, and they went away to South Africa and they lost that series 1-2. And so they've won four away tests this year. Out of, what are we looking at? 12. 12, yeah. That's 33% strike, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're not, they're not the dominant... Um, world number ones like Australia was in the 2000s like uh, Africa was after that like West Indies were before that like they're not this dominant powerhouse and they're not even as strong as probably the previous iteration of this Indian team if you go back and look at the all the rain happened on Sydney so they replayed the infamous monkey gate test that Indian team is far more talented and deep than this current Indian team Mm, which is interesting because everyone's hailing this as one of the best Indian teams ever only because they won a series away. Yeah. Only because they're winning tests away, which mm. Indian teams are never Which is historical, yet. but it also, if you're playing that death match cricket where you pit eras against each other, that doesn't necessarily make them a better team. Mm. Because I think when you look at a middle order with all-time greats like Drava, Laxman, Tendulkar and Ganguly in it, it's pretty hard to make a case that this is a better test team. Yeah. yeah the, only, the only two absolute all-time elites are Kohli and Pajara. And even Pajara only just came back into vogue. Uh, so you've got one one generational player in for India at the yeah. moment. Boomer potentially could be, but he's at the start of his yeah. test career. And then like the and they're playing, good, and they're playing against they're playing against teams that aren't that good. Hmm. The England test team hasn't been good for a very long time. And South Africa is very as a very good test team and they probably should be one number one if they got to play as many tests as India did and as many at home. It's just interesting how that narrative shapes up. Hmm. Potentially a little bit too Quickly, but from a, from an Australian point of view, what were your positives to take out of a series? Were there actually that many? Um, I, it was a. I think there were, but I also I also say some of them. Like I would say Marcus Harris, but then I say that with a bit of a, like you're then talking about a guy who didn't make a hundred, made three or four really good contributions of seventy, and then looked good at the crease. Like, you're not talking about someone who came out and made 200s in a debut series. And it's the first time in a very long time where the Australian cricket media has been willing to praise mediocrity. Mm. Like, to go and say, for Ricky Ponting, of all people, to come out and say, oh, I have three locks for this, for our Ashes uh, squad. It's Kawaja, uh, Harris, and Labuschagne, because he looks really good. He made a really good-looking 30. And that, that was what you said about Harris after the first test. I yeah. said, oh, Harris looked looked test player. I said, did he? And I remember it really vividly because at that point you go, yeah, we're praising a guy who made two good-looking 20s. Yeah. That's so unusual for Australian cricket to when, be in that When scenario. usually it's like you've got to make hundreds and big hundreds and match-winning knocks. And like, that's the thing that's really disappointing is that no one really... Pat Cummings had a really good Melbourne test for nothing. Like, they still lost that test quite convincingly. And other than that, there was no really standout match-winning performances. I would say Cummins was a positive, but I think that's a year-long positive. And I would say... But that also, he's a positive, but then he didn't bowl well in Sydney. Mm. 
Like we had, we none of our players played a really good series. No, that's actually that. I think is probably the point because you. I would say that Kawaja's second inning seventy odd was match winning as a second innings innings in Perth. Mm. Really helped to set the test match up. Incredibly valuable, but then but then did nothing for the rest of the series. Nothing for three other tests. Yeah, and neither did anyone else. So mm. we didn't have. I, I guess I think Kawaja's a really interesting case study because he had an opportunity to establish himself as the senior batsman in the absence of. Smith and Warner, which he, to an extent he did in the draw in the UAE with the only 100 we've made since the Sydney test mm. a year ago. Um, and I just thought this series, and every time I watched him, I just, this is where you have to bank a Kawaja 50 for us to be getting somewhere. You have to start banking this guy making runs so we can build around him, and it just didn't happen. No. So it's like he's just, we're in a similar spot to where you've always been, I think, with him. But I feel like we were very concessional anyway coming into this series. Mm. Even, even after the sort of Perth test, it all kind of everyone was like, oh, it could be on here, could be on. And then Melbourne Payne just came out after the Melbourne test and said, we're not that good. Mm. Like, we're in a tricky situation with our two best batsmen. We're not as good as them. That's not, a, that's not Australian cricket. That's not Australian sport. You, you should never come out and be like, we're not. Like, you just conceded the series then and there, which is what it felt like, which is why the Indians celebrated so hard after that Melbourne test. Because they obviously knew. Like, you've been out in the field for three and a half days of this test. Yeah, we were You bucking. barely batted five sessions. Mm. You cooked. I mean, to me, it disappeared very quickly on day three. Like, that day three in Melbourne was the definitive day of the series for me. Um, because when we just started, you just looked at India bat for two days without looking troubled. And then you see us collapse and you're like, nah, we're done. This is it. Mm. Like, we're sorry. Because... If we manage to, like, the reason that test is so disappointing in the context of the series, if Australia bat well on day three, draw that match, it's then winner takes all in Sydney. And the coin goes the other way and there's, there's a chance, isn't there? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that, that's where I just think that day was, that was it. That was where it fell down the gurgler. And it, and it could have been a series where if we draw 1-1, one, one, you go, we had, two, we, had an, we had an okay test wicket in Adelaide, and we had a very good test wicket in Perth. And then we had two Dower draw fests. So be it. That's what Melbourne and Sydney are these days. But this underdog battling, fighting team, like, you wouldn't need to make a century in the series to probably draw that Melbourne Melbourne test. Mm. So you go, we had we had our one centurion, we had a couple of goody knocks, we found something out about some people, and we drew this series that no one thought we could draw 1-1. One, one. Mm. But instead, we didn't. We Yeah, day three Melbourne is what this Australian side is, a collapse of them. Like, mm. it's... And that's, that's the concern that as much as they talk about wanting to do the Australian people proud, there is no... You just look at them and there is no sense of grittiness. There's no Alan Border of the 80s. That's the last time we were this bad at, at Test Cricket, mm. or cricket in general, mm. is, is the 80s, post the fallout of World Series cricket, post the, the loss of a lot of talented players. And now we're at the stage now where we're not... Even then, though, a lot of that was because they went, oh, well... Let's play Steve Waugh when he's too young. Let's play Mark Waugh when he's too young. And we're not really even doing that. We're not even doing that yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that because the selection table for Sri Lanka is, I think, a really interesting test case. So the squad, and this test series is, what, still a week and a half away? Yeah, it was 15 yeah. days of the, of the announcement. Yeah, and so. I think a few people have made the point that we're two tests away from going to the Ashes, or two tests in the rest of the Shield season, really, and we don't really have a clear picture of what our 11 will look like when we get to Birmingham. Um, so Which I also find it totally fine because we have a test series coming up. 
So let's just focus on the test series and worry about the ashes when it comes to the ashes because yeah. the ashes are like what eight months away. Well, that narrative annoys me. The fact that we were talking about the ashes, the ashes before is, the, the ashes is not. Over. Yeah, the ashes is not the World Cup of Test cricket. It is another Test series. It's it's obviously the most important, especially when it comes to the culture of cricket in this country and the culture of cricket in the history of cricket. Mm. That is a that is a series that, regardless of how good those two nations are, everyone tunes in because of all of the cultural fabric that comes before it and that will come after it. But it demeans the other tests. Like, if you want to sell the product of test cricket and that's what the players want to do, well, then say, no, this is an important series to win. And it is because as much as everyone goes, oh, we're going to smash Sri Lanka. But I'm not convinced we will. I'd be very, very surprised if Sri Lanka win in, at the Gabba because the Gabba's never been a friendlier place for visitors. Yeah. Which is why it used to be our, our first test forever and ever. Because we used to win. But I think the day-night aspect makes it a bit of a leveller. And the Sri Lankans have never lost a day-night test. And the other thing with the Ashes is we haven't had a cracking Ashes series for a while. It depends how you define cracking, though. Well, like 10-11, when you, the year that England won out here was, was significant, but I don't think it was a cracking series. No. And then, nine. to be fair, 5 and 9 were both pretty good. Well, five is the greatest test series of all time. By by the length of the Fleming. Which is the problem that we have with test cricket at the moment, especially in Australia. So that 2000s, in the decade of the 2000s, we had our Australian test team win 16 tests in a row twice. Mm. So we won 32 tests in a decade. That's absurd. But that in- we that, won 32 and tests. And that England team... Not undefeated, we won. So that's ridiculous. That England team was a very, very it strong England bricks team. bricks on. And the thing that people know, that England team played a very strong South African team before the Ashes. Yes. And then off the back of it played a very strong Indian team in India and drew one all. So, so in terms of test cricket as a product, that was arguably the greatest decade of all time. Mm. Strength across the whole cohort zero, zero, amongst, zero, the, yeah. amongst the four, the big four. So then when we go, oh, this wasn't as exciting as 05. Like, it could be a hundred years before we have another series like that. Because you're going <laughs> to need you're going to need a generational leg spinner. You're going to need you're going to need mm. twelve elite batsmen who could make all time lists in their countries. You're going to need a cohort of really exciting, quick, dangerous, bombastic, effervescent fast bowlers. And you're going to need some crazy drama like your best bowler rolling his ankle before. Mm. Before a test. Oh, there were so many subplots. Anyway, but I guess what we want to see with the Ashes is that home away monopoly evened up a little bit. But digress because we said that we should focus on Sri Lanka. Yes. And then shut our own shut our own point in the foot. So the squad was Payne, Hazelwood, Burns, Cummins, Harris, Head, Kawaja, Labuskakni, Lyon, Pekovsky, Renshaw, Stark, and Siddle. Um there's a tour game before this series in Hobart, which is running from the 17th to the 19th. It's a day night, which shapes as a bit of a, I guess, a final test run for Pekovsky, Renshaw, Labuskakni, and Burns in terms of who takes those spots. I guess my first question, though, is um, did you think the selectors caved to public pressure? in picking this 11. There was a lot of talk after Sydney, and I would still argue that we never got the XI on the field in that Indian series that we should have had on the field. Did they cave to public pressure? Well, if they would have caved to public pressure, they would have picked Maxwell and Wade. So, uh, no, they didn't (laughs) cave to public pressure. Did they cave to logic and reason? No, you would have picked Wade and maybe Maxwell. Uh, Did they cave to picking talent? And, like, progression, well, then they would have played a lot more youngsters, not just one, so they didn't do that either. Um, did they cave to any reason or logic 
in selecting this squad. Not at all. No. No, none. Absolutely not. <laughs> well, I mean, that's... Did they punish anyone for poor performances in that in the previous series? No, we still picked Mitchell Stark, and they probably had his worst four test series. Oh, in, well, they, in got Mar- they got rid of Marsh's times two. Oh, well done. They got rid of bats that were averaging like 14 for the last 18 months. Well, well done. (laughs) Well done, selectors. Round of applause for the Australian selectors, the three amigos. We should. So that's Trevor Holmes, Greg Chappell and Justin Langer that you're talking about. So I guess your point is that this still lacks. When you look at this squad, you still don't know what the prevailing logic is when you come up with that list of names. No, absolutely. What is the prevailing logic? So why? But why is this such a shit show? Like how? Like can it be that hard to go? This is our metric, and this is what we're going to go on. Like because there's none of that. It's very much. Well, this matters for this player, not it, for this player. Is it hard? No. You just have to be consistent. So they. It, so Langer came out at the start of his tenure when he didn't pick Maxi the first time and said, "I want. I want to pick batsmen that make hundreds." Then he comes out. Before this first test series as coach and says, I want to see gritty 30s from our boys. Do you want hundreds or 30s? Then he goes and then he goes and they pick a guy who's averaging like 17 in the shield this year in Labuschagne. I'm not going to butcher the Afrikaans, so I'm going to go with <laughs> Labuschagne like champagne. Even yeah. though his performance in the Sydney test was anything but sparkling. So there's just been no consistency. And then so Renshaw's come back in. So are you picking? They're not picking on form because Renshaw doesn't have the short-term form to back it up, because mm. he's, he's had a pretty poor Shield season. So then you go, okay, so if you broaden the scope, you go over the last 18 months, does he have a, he sample, a, really a, sample, a sample size of good, strong performances? Yeah. Well, then cool. But then you have to reward Wade and Maxwell, because yeah. their 18-month portfolio yeah. is, is as good, if not better. Yeah. So you go, okay, well, are we going to pick on talent then? So you bring in a Will Picosby, who, out of all the picks there, A, that's a nice pick, because... It's, it's a young up-and-comer. But also, he's just got a wealth of runs. He's got eight digs in his name at first-class level. He's made two centuries and a 50. One of them was 249. He's the one of the only nine players in the history of first-class cricket in Australia to score a double century in Sheffieldshire before the age of 21. He's up there with the likes of Bradman and Ponting. Now, is it a risk to pick him? Obviously, because he's only played eight first-class games. But who else did we do that for? Ponting. He came in at number six, batted for a while... Failed, got dropped, went back, made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and then got picked again and then became our all-time greatest test batsman. Well, that's also, as a development selection, that's what that's a, that's a good selection. That's what we did with that's Clark, a, that's what we did with Ponting, that's what we did with Martin, it's mm-hmm. what we did with Steve Waugh, it's what we did with Mark Waugh. But he's it's actually with Steve yeah. Smith. But he's actually the right person for it. Yes. He's not a He's a, he's a 21-year-old who goes in at six and goes, get it your taste. Whatever you do with this opportunity, here's your taste, and don't worry. Like, it's almost you'd tell him, and he's, he's a very earthed, grounded kid. Mm. So if you told him, like, you're going to fail, if you don't, cool. You can be a generational player like Bradman, but you're not going to be because no one is. You're going to fail. Everyone else before yeah. you has failed. Yeah. You're going to get dropped. That's okay. Then go back. Know what, know, what it, know what it takes to get to that level again. We see this in every other sport. Like footy, AFL footy is the prime example. You get the cake kids drafted, and then it's, you know, it's round eight and he gets his chance. Here you go, mate, get a taste. And he gets found out probably, unless he's an absolute gun. And even, even the guns kind of have three or four and then they get found out. And it'll be the same. He'll go in there. They won't know his technique. They won't see much of him. He'll probably get 
some good knocks in. Then he'll get researched on. He'll get found out. He'll get dropped down and come back up. Mm. And that's kind of the development path that needs to happen. And but did you did you read the Adam Collins feature that was done when he was eighteen? Yeah, after, was, he, was, after he broke the records in his uh, yeah. under-19 performance. There was a really interesting um, quote in there that was like, if I make it, great. If I don't make it, okay, I'll also be fine. Which is a very stark contrast to what you sort of thought about from people like Bancroft, for example, in terms of how desperate they are. He seems a lot more level in terms of his expectations of himself. Oh. He's a classy unit in the sense that he's super media trained. He's a switched on dude. He knows what he knows what he has to say. Mm. Like what he says in interviews and what he thinks and feels, I think would be two very different things. Mm. And like, there's no, there'd be no way that he just willingly be like, oh, I wouldn't care if I never played Test cricket for Australia. Like that's that would be an out and out lie. He's a just by what he's done and the achievements he's already made, you can just tell that he's been thinking about playing, not thinking, but like feeling that he could definitely play Test Cricket for Australia since he was, like, 16. Yeah, I mean, and so I question... I think you mentioned Renshaw. So my I couldn't get over during the Indian series that Renshaw, Burns and Maxwell all have better averages in first-class cricket than the entire top six in Melbourne, <laughs> with the exception of Kawaja. So not having them in... Like, if you're going to pick a metric for picking your Test team, surely the first thing you go to is your career-long first-class average. That has to be the trump card for yeah. me. And so I get, like, I get... My question with Renshaw is it should have been for the UAE. Like, he was the first person called up yeah, to we, go to South why Africa. Did we, why did we drop him? He then went and had a really good series in England before he got injured and made runs with Somerset. Um, comes home and you don't... Why did you get rid of him then? And then the same thing with Maxwell. He does well, yeah, And then they had the Maxwell clusterfuck, which is... Still a clusterfuck. Well, I mean, S.E. Henry produced those comments this morning. About Maxwell talking about how he was told not to go play county cricket so he could go on. Oh, is, that, is, that, is that a fact, JB? That SEN. Oh, I don't know, Gordon. Is it? Is, it, is, fact? It, is, it, is that a fact? You know what? You know what's a beautiful thing? What's a beautiful thing, man? The truth. Justin Langer wouldn't know what the truth is if it came and hit him in the face like a wet fish. <laughs> but also, like, so the the incongruity here is just ridiculous because you talk about wanting hundreds. None of your bats that make hundreds, and then you don't pick a bloke who made four, played four tests in India, made a hundred, and averaged in the forties, and then got dropped. Like, and also made 100 at, like, a strike rate of 50. Hmm. So if your knock on him is that he's a limited overs player, that's he's proven that to be false. Like, hmm. So, I mean, my... And if your knock on him is a limited overs player and he wants to go over and play four-day cricket, then, then let him. Send him to Lancashire. He went and teed that up so you would pick him. So it's just... And then to deny it in front of the media. And then have Trevor Jones come out and be like, oh, no, we never said that. Like, players can go Trevor and play... Hines, yeah. yeah, can go and play wherever they want, whenever they want. Well, no, they can't. No, they can't. Your bowlers can't. When they, when they go get selected to play for your one-day international team that you select. You select the Australian A squad and you didn't pick him. He's also not in He the... can't just rock up. It's not Maxwell ball, shout out to Dan Lebke. He can't just rock up and go buy a cap from the souvenir store, walk past the security guard when it's not he's not his match day and go, oh, I'm going to bat now. Sorry, boys. I'm going to come in at six. And oh. he's also not in the CAXI for this, for this tour game. Which is, I mean, mate, he's proven his credentials. But, so this is my point. But how can you look at this? Is what I don't. I just don't get this. Because yeah, if you if you would say so, the CA the CA eleven is deliberately not called the Australian A eleven because it's not our second team. No, it is it's a, a development. It's a team. development squad or it's an exhibition squad. Who knows? You can ascertain from that that basically we've picked. Our test squad, which is our top fifteen players in the country at this given point. You 13, d- but yeah, yeah. And you've got the extended squad, which is the rest of the players 
So are we saying that the likes of Curtis Patterson and Jake Doran, Jason Sanger are better batsmen than Wade and well, Maxwell? Can I ask you a very simple question? Yes. You're picking the test team. Yes. Do you have Marnus or do you have Maxwell? Maxwell. Yeah. Every, like, and so my like I I kind of joke. And there's no match. There's no metric there no. that Maxwell's bowling average is better. Maxwell's batting average is better. He has a test century. He has a first-class double century. Centuries in all forms of the game. He makes runs for fun, <laughs> which is what Langer wants. So, he wants runs for fun, so and he's not going to pick it. My question is then: either come out and just say that. You looked at all the numbering and you arrived at Marnus, which, again, you can't look at all the numbering and arrive at Marnus. Or just come out and say you don't like his training habits and that's why you're not picking him. Just say you're not picking him because you don't like it. Just say we've KP'd him. Yeah, let's say we've KP'd him. Everyone knows it. There's no point sitting there in a media conference and trying to... Like, you actually just make yourself look like an even bigger peanut mm. by trying to brush it off as hundreds and metrics and runs and whatever else you... I mean, Greenness sure, and character and... Um, elite honesty, elite yeah. dishonesty in this yeah. instance. Like, whatever it is, just say it. Because everyone knows it. Like, there's absolutely no other logical reason that you but can also, look at all the evidence and come to this. In, in their defence, the Slater's defence it is, it's not just Maxwell. So it is, it is Wade. Mm. It is blokes getting dropped and not getting told why. And yes, as, as Mark Waugh said, I mean, usually it's about runs and wickets. Well, yeah, Which all well and good, but <laughs> the two marshes didn't take wickets or make runs and didn't get dropped, and other blokes did. So it's not about runs and wickets, and that's what the issue is. If it was, if it was simple, then we wouldn't be complaining. If we just went, you know what? We're just going to have a, have a bot do it. We're just going to just collate the running, the running rolling averages of the Sheffield Shield season and just pick the six best blokes with the highest averages, the, six, the four best bowlers and the best wicket keeper, and just do it automatically. No, no, no selecting panel. Just go off the numbers. At least it makes sense. Uh, the other thing, I, I mean, I joked you would get a more logical test team if you just opened it up to an all-star style internet poll which uh, I disagree with because Fox Sports did that what did we um, get <laughs> you know we had James Pattinson coming off like surgeries and stuff selected for the test series and things so you know selectors are there because they're meant to have the inside word and all the knowledge and you know this this weight of experience and history and talent provisions behind them but obviously, the three bugs that we have in that in those roles aren't very good at their job. A colleague of mine asked me the other day, "What Greg Chapel do?" What's the answer? That is a very good question. <laughs> Not a lot. Um, I guess my final question for the Sri Lankan series is: We didn't shake up the bowlers for the day-night test in particular. Would you have done something there? And would you have gone elsewhere than Peter Siddle if you were going to pick another bowler? Well, Peter Siddall seems to be the, the incumbent reserve, so that makes sense that he stays. So you pick him still. Like, he can't, have got, he can't have gone out of form by not playing cricket, so he has to be there, which is fair enough. And then Pinkball, Gabba, like, you just go back to the trend train. Like, my, for my, like Chris Tremaine would be a perfect Pinkball bowler, and he has been. And so he's in the CA11, and I'm sure if he... Well, yeah, these squads aren't... These 13-man squads for the series aren't, you know, set in stone. So there, there is a small, small chance that he could, you know, skyrocket into that team, but it's highly unlikely. Well, my question And is, also, like, do you give someone like Mitchell Stark a rest? Like, I would try Tremaine. Like, because I also think, as much as I, this isn't about the Ashes, Tremaine will bowl well under lights with a swinging ball, mm. and he'll probably go to England and swing the ball in England. So I think that it's worth... 
having, and particularly given the way that Stark and the bowling attack bowled, I don't think that the culpability for the Indian loss is all with the batting. I think there were still issues in bowling. Yeah. And I don't well, I've had an issue with bowling the whole the yeah. whole 12 months. And again, it's because they have to bowl more so they get further tired. But yeah, there's just no, there doesn't seem to be any capability for performance at the moment. And so the old adage during the absolute Helsingin days was, you know, the, the, the only thing harder than getting into the Australian Test team is getting out of it. Which makes sense when you've got all-time greats. Well, but when you have you are. Yeah, and also depends. Getting out of it's pretty easy if you've got Maxwell. Yeah. Um, but that's obviously changed where now it's, you know, it's pretty it's pretty easy to come in and out unless you're, you know, those, those top four. And yes, that top four bowling attack of Cummins, Stark, Lyon and Hazelwood is obviously our best unit when they're bowling at their best. Yeah, but the question but is... two of them yeah, aren't. When they're not, then go away from that. Yeah. Like, give a Tremaine, like, reward form hmm. um, and give a Tremaine a go and see what happens. If he crashes and burns, then is it any worse than what we've already seen? Yeah. And that, I guess, is probably, yeah, the, the overriding question. I mean, this Sri Lankan series is going to be... There's a test in Canberra, which is... I don't think it's the first... Is it the first in Canberra? No, no, no. no. But it's still, a, it's still an unusual test venue in recent years. Yeah. So that in itself is, a, is quite an interesting thing. Their bowling attack, I think, will be not the strongest, which will be interesting, but I mean... Yeah, they're a, they're a proper, in a very commas, proper subcontinent team in the sense that they, they spin heavy in home conditions yeah. and then haven't don't develop quicks like you do in India. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how... I think there's a lot on this, though. ...how a pace attack goes over here. But, but like, we have to win this series. Yeah, and we if we if we win the first test, we'll win the series because then you're in. Yeah. Well, Campbell will be a draw, guaranteed. Menaka does not produce anything, anything but runs. Even for us, oh, everyone will score runs. The thing is, is is the Hume highway. <laughs> they may as well. They may as well just put the Hume straight through Menaka Oval. <gasps> okay. Because it is a road in every sense of the word. And so, are you more interested? This is probably the final. Final little question. Are you more interested in the continuation of the Big Bash or in the one days that are coming up between Australia and India? We sh- should be, you know, we should be starting thinking about the World Cup in a couple of months' time, but, well, six months' time, but... But it, this doesn't, like, Stark, assumedly, will be playing in the World Cup as our white ball opening bowler. You would think so. torn up in 15 and he's not playing here, so... Yeah, but it was just because in 15 days' time we also have a test series. Mm, it's just too much cricket. Yeah. Sandwich. I get why he's not playing. I don't have don't have an issue with that but it does make you wonder about you know the value of this if you're not getting the best team on the park because of the schedule well absolutely but then you have the same problem with the big bash because there are big bash squads now that are severely weakened because their their best white ball players are now playing in the and Australian we watched the stars, stars the other night really well, know, yes, leap without Maxwell and without Hanscom and without Stoyness and Zampa and old mate Zampa so that's four out of eleven gone. Yeah, the test team, the tests, upcoming test means you can't pick your strongest Australian ODI squad. The ODIs mean that you can't pick your strongest BBL squad. So now we've got this period of two weeks of cricket it's just all where everyone's playing compromised teams. Will you be partaking in any more Big Bash as a, as a closing comment? You went to the Big Bash with us uh, on Wednesday, yeah, well, and no. I have never seen a person less enthused I think I was about not, cricket. I don't think uh, it was potentially, the Big Bash. Uh, potentially you, yeah, you had a bit of an, an average day, but that's what people do. Like it's meant to be entertainment. And you were not gripped enough. It's like a, a very poor TV show does not teleport you out of your current existence into that existence. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that, that Big Bash game was not compelling enough. It was fun. But now that everyone plays each other twice, you can lose again. Like, the Stars could lose three of the, ne- the next three games during this one-day period, get all their players back, win the next three after that, and still make the top four of an eight-team competition. So now we have these periods where, because we want to have more entertainment and more games and more, 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 it's people that doesn't matter. It doesn't grip you. You can just go through this, you know, this this soft underbelly of cricket. When the when the tennis, one of the biggest tennis tournaments in the world is on at the same time, grabbing attention for eyeballs, or while the WBBL goes unnoticed underneath. This would be a perfect time to go. Cool, Big Bash has a little hiatus during the one day series. And we just put WBBL up there. You have, you, have, you have your three days of one-day career where they don't play BBL anyway because mm-hmm. they don't want to compete. And then you have your WBBLs as the headline acts in between. They're in the two days in between. Mm. Lift, that, lift that up where actually everyone is available. We have amazing international players over here. We have probably you know, the top 20 players in the world here at the moment playing WBBL. So let's go watch compelling, high-level cricket that actually matters as opposed to blokes I play against on the weekend in clubbies having, having a crack against some other blokes getting smashed around. Like just, yeah. It needs to be a compelling product and if they want to expand it then they need to make sure that everyone can play every game. It lacks the... It's not as premium as it was. I was significantly less excited about the Stars because of the absence of their bums on seats players. I just think like it, it's a bit like the World Cup where, and I understand the purpose of having a long World Cup which is a different debate because of the... the cachet or the opportunity it gives to associate nations. Well, but, ironically, but ironically, they've cut that down now. And they have. So my question is... Now you're going back to it. Yeah. Everyone plays each other once and then your top four plays off, which would be the perfect thing with the Big Bash. That would be my, that would be my BBL. And because if you wanted just, to do it, because you have the derby teams, you go, everyone plays each other once and then the derbies play each other. And then you just invent derbies for the other, for the other four teams. There's too many games where you're just a bit like... Oh, it doesn't matter that much hmm. because it's so. When you have a long tournament that is then vested in a top four, and the top four system is only two semi-finals and then a final, the whole thing is vested in that. Hmm. That's it. Like that's the bit of the season that actually matters. Hmm. Um, even more so than something like the AFL, where the final series is significantly longer. Um, so yeah, that's probably my problem or worry with it. As a night out, it's sort of a yeah. For me, it's not going to engross in the way that. Test cricket engrosses because it doesn't have the the layers of meaning or the everything is riding on this this game this result this ball this day this session whatever. Um, but it's still like it can be quite a fun evening out. Like I don't. It's definitely more of a TV product. It's a Netflix of cricket in the sense that a lot of the time you put Netflix on because you want to be a background mm, noise. Which I, I do that in the evening habitually with BBL. Yeah, and I'll do the crossword. And, and people that. enjoy having the cricket on in the background and having cricket every day is is amazing. But when you go to the game. It doesn't have the cachet that going to an international does, obviously, or even going to a Sheffield Shield. Yeah, game. and the ball ring was closed. And yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, so even they didn't take it seriously. The members, <laughs> like, they went, no, no, we're not going to provide a premium experience in the sense that we'll have everything open and it's going to be, let's go. Mm. It was, no, no, this is just the BBL, well, so we won't the, have everything open. I haven't been in the members for nearly, must be nearly twelve years since I've been in the MCC, and I was. Um, yeah, pretty underwhelmed. It's a bit like being in the outer, but with a collar on, which is marginally annoying because collars are a little bit overrated. Yeah, I reckon. So yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit like, uh, but I would like I would go again, but I would also like I want to see more of a marquee element than Cameron Bancroft being the marquee player of the evening. Like, is probably my my thing with it. Um, 
And I think it is interesting that you mentioned the TV thing because it is that. It's very easy to slip on on the evening and watch a bit of background cricket and if it gets interesting, you can kind of get a little bit, zoom in a bit sharper. But yeah, it, it fails to grip. It's a bit of a BBL and chill sort of, sort of environment, I think. <laughs>